ponder over this question with us today on Abounding Grace. One of the questions I want you to ask before you leave here today is when's the last time you made a decision in the gray areas of life where you thought about how it would affect someone else more than how it would affect you? That's a real key in chapter 8. The instruction for us as believers not to stumble a fellow believer with our freedoms. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You We have great liberty in Christ, but does that mean anything goes? Maybe you've heard some of your friends excuse their behavior thinking that's the case. Our salvation is a free gift from God and isn't obtained by works or legalistic rules. However, as we're about to see, we want to be careful to ask, how will my decisions in the gray areas affect those around me? You're listening to Abounding Grace, Follow along with us, if you can, as we head back to 1 Corinthians 8. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. You may have knowledge, but it must be balanced by love. If there isn't that balance, listen, if there isn't that balance between love and knowledge in your life, you're going to find it very, very hard to be in fellowship with other believers. It's going to be hard because you're coming off as a know-it-all and you're coming down heavy on someone. You're going to find fellowship very hard. First of all, you're going to find fellowship very hard with God. When you come to God as a know-it-all, I mean, can you imagine the laughter in heaven? You just got it all figured out. Knowing it all as, it, as you relate to God builds in you a thought that you don't really need God after all. You got it all figured out. You don't really need his counsel. You don't really need his help. You don't, people that have a a know-it-all attitude toward God, they don't wait on the Lord for very much. There's not a lot of waiting in their life. And it's not just an impatient thing. It's, uh, I got it all figured out. I got it all figured out. I got it all figured out. Until they find out they don't really know anything yet as they ought to know. It's important for those of you that open the Bible to counsel one another. The answer for life's issues isn't the same thing for every person. So in a ministry where you might have a calling to minister to marriages and you're ministering to marriage problems all the time, you can't automatically think that when somebody comes into the office and starts to describe their marriage, in your mind you can't think, I already know the answer to this. Because you really know nothing yet as you ought to know. The Holy Spirit needs to show you insight on not just the answer, but how's it going to look in their life and their marriage and their background? How's it going to be applied? Do you even have the whole story? Do you have the full story? You, know, you, you can't just, well, I know that the answer to this marriage problem is on page 35 of my marriage ministry manual. And so here's my, let me go give you a photocopy and, and you just kind of run through those types of things. You and I really don't know what we yet need to know until the Lord shows us. And the ingredients are going to be the same because biblical counsel is always the Bible. But how to use that in someone's life. I remember very early on this lesson was taught to me. I served on the prayer team uh, back at the Calvary where I was saved. And 
we were ministering after a service and a couple came up and they started to share what they were going, what's going through their life. They started to share all the issues and, and I was just so confident I had the answer. I opened up the Bible, I start to share and they just gave me this look like, huh? Like what? And, I was, and, and it, this is all happening in milliseconds. So I'm like trying to figure out what, what did I do wrong, Lord, in my head? Like they're not getting it. This seems so easy. And so in my mind, I'm like, a little, like Nehemiah a little bit. Hey, Lord, what's going on? I need some help right now. You know, just all in a split second. And the Lord impressed upon me to notice their ring fingers. They came to me with a marriage issue, but they had no rings on their fingers. And so the Lord gave me a little bit of insight to ask them, hey, are you married? Their answer, no. They're just shacking up, living together. And then the Lord said, that's the issue, young man. You can't minister to a couple that's living together, pretending to be marriage with marriage counseling. They're not married. They're living in sin and they need to repent. And then maybe some of their issues will go away. And that all happened in a real quick moment. It started out with me thinking I had it all. And then as the Holy Spirit just led me my eyes in one way and I look and I go, boom, that's the issue. You just want to be open. Let the Spirit lead you. Love always builds up. It always edifies. That truth lays the foundation for that the answer that Paul is going to give us about eating meat in just a moment, not stumbling a brother. One of the questions I want you to ask before you leave here today is when's the last time you made a decision in the gray areas of life where you thought about how it would affect someone else? more than how it would affect you. That's a real key in chapter 8. The instruction for us as believers not to stumble a fellow believer with our freedoms and with our knowledge. Some of you might be more mature in your faith than others. You might have more knowledge. You might understand, as we'll see in a moment, that an idol is nothing. So if you bought meat that was sacrificed to an idol, no big deal. I, you know, and part of this, it's sort of a funny question because... I don't know the last time you walked into Wendy's and asked the gal, hey, has the meat been sacrificed to an idol back there? <laughs> I just want to know, you got any idols hidden back there? It's a principle that we'll be able to draw out some other applications from. But the question of have you decided to avoid something so you wouldn't stumble someone? Not that you couldn't handle it. You could. But just because you handle it, is it a right decision that someone else would see and say, well, 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 if you can do it, then I can do it. And that's really the essence of this chapter. Paul's pastoral heart is clear here. He wants stronger believers to help weaker ones, not stumble them, and to not think too highly of themselves. There were two sources of meat in the ancient day, before we get into verse 4. There was meat, which was the choicest, primus cuts in the pagan temples. They would take the meat, they'd sacrifice it to uh, an idol, and they'd separate some of the meat for the priest, and they'd sell the rest. Because they knew it was no big deal, it was just meat. And so the pagans in Corinth, that's where they'd get their meat. That's where the best meat was. It was available to them. There were also the regular markets, where the meat was a little bit less in quality, but very, very expensive. The meat in the temples, very cheap, because it was very much in abundance. The meat in the regular markets, not so cheap. So there was a problem with now these pagans that used to worship in those temples and dedicate the meat to these idols. 
now seeing what am I supposed to do? Yesterday I was eating in the pagan temple. Today I'm saved. I don't want anything to do with the pagan temple. But then that go to my friend's house and he's offering them this meat that was just sacrificed to that idol and it was just messing their minds up. And that's what Paul clears in verse 4. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is only one God the Father of whom are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom, we, whom are all things and through whom we live. A gentle reminder in the context here, there's one God. This is, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can write in this section, maybe write along the edge, monotheism. That's what he's teaching us here. Heavy duty theological word, it just means belief in one God only monotheism, as opposed to polytheism, which was the accepted worship of the pagans, which is a worship of many gods, little idols and all sorts of gods. The Greeks had all kinds of stuff. So an idol is nothing. It's just a little statue. It's nothing. It can't do anything. And the second point he wants to make, hey, just understand, don't forget, you serve only one God who's the source of all creation. Turn over to Psalm 115. It's a great cross-reference here for this section. Look at Psalm 115 with me. One creator God revealed to us in the Godhead of the Trinity. God the Father, through his Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, God the Creator. Look at with me Psalm 115. A great little cross-reference here to this section in 1 Corinthians. Hey, you guys are thinking about idols and what are you supposed to do? And don't you love Paul? He, he goes back to some foundations. Sometimes you ask a question and the person giving you the answer, you're like, I don't know if that's what I really asked. But the person might be laying a foundation for you to understand the rest of his answer. And as you're thinking of idolatry and meat and all that, Paul says, don't forget... We worship one God. Idols are nothing. 115, it says, Not unto us, O Lord, this is verse 1, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy and because of your truth, why should the Gentiles say, Where now is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they don't see. Ears, they don't hear. Noses, they don't smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet, but they can't walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. A very basic teaching. Idols are nothing. God is everything. Pick up now back in 1 Corinthians verse 7. However, a change of direction. That's a word that changes direction. Idols are nothing. God is the creator. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. They don't fully understand this yet. For some with consciousness of an idol, until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. 
Not everybody understands this. When meat's presented to them and it's been sacrificed to the idol, all they can think of is that was sacrificed to an idol. That was in a pagan temple. I can't eat that. I can't do that. They haven't grown in their knowledge yet that it's just meat and just a piece of wood that's been carved by a man. Just meat. They don't know that yet. They don't have a consciousness of that. You could say that in verse 7, it reflects an immature Christian. Don't think of immature always being some negative thing. Don't be calling me immature, Ed. No, don't think of it always as a negative thing. They just haven't grown up yet. Immature. It takes some time to mature in the things of the Lord. Verse 8, food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware. This is the warning now. This is the key. Beware lest, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those that are weak. There's a big difference between the strong believer and the weak believer. The weak lacks knowledge. They lack knowledge and can be easily stumbled or easily defiled by you and me. That's why it's very, very important for us to consider the effects of our decisions before we make them. Just to think it through. And the way that you make that decision, whether the decision focuses on you, I can do this, I can handle this, or I wonder if it'll stumble, stumble someone else. I wonder how it's going to affect my friend. I mean, parents, you, you do this all the time. For parents, it's not that, this isn't a hard concept to grasp. Because as you're raising your kids in the ways of the Lord, you don't want to give your kids an example of hypocrisy. And you don't want to ever tell your kids, hey, you know, do what I say, don't do what I do. That just ain't going to fly, I'll tell you that right now. It ain't going to work. Your kids are going to rebel against the things of God, and they're going to actually follow what you do and not what you say. So parents, that's, this is already a concept that you grasp. Grandparents, the same thing. But I want you to take that same philosophy, and I want you to extend it to your friends and family, to your coworkers. You can't just look at your coworker. Oh, just do what I do. Do what I say. Don't do what I do. You know, I'm I'm a little bit stronger believer than you. And and one day you'll be as strong as me, and you and I can hang out with our liberty. You know, kind of thing. And you're like, no. You and I, we want to make our decisions in such a way that elevates God and doesn't stumble a believer. Even though we could do it, we want to be careful. We usually think of those that would stand up and say something like, "How could you do that?" as being strong spiritually. But here, that type of person, Paul says, is weak. It's a weak place in our lives as well. It goes both ways. It's a weak place in our lives if we're not able to watch other people exercise their liberties, not sinful actions, but exercise their liberties without judging them. It goes both ways where, hey, I want to be careful not to stumble you, but at the same time, if you see me exercising a liberty, you also want to be not stumbled. And it takes some growing up in our lives. It takes some maturity for us to get there. The more mature believer is really the one that's free and not easily stumbled. And some in the church have already accepted invitations here in Corinth to eat food from these pagan temples. But they did so in great danger to the weaker believers with weaker consciences. They may get the wrong message and perhaps even depart from the faith or any attempt to grow in the things of God just because of meat. It's because of a cut of meat. And it's true that eating meat was sacrificed to some dumb idol wouldn't affect me at all. But I need to be careful that it may affect those around me. 
Let me give you a couple things to answer a question for you. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. Have you ever wondered why some believers are weak or immature in their faith? There's a couple things to consider. You might even look at them in your own life. Some people are weak in their faith, number one, because they're new believers. New believers are weak in their faith. The solution for them is to grow up in the things of God. They're not grown up yet. So there are those that are weaker in the faith that they just got saved yesterday. They don't know. They've been walking with the Lord for six months. They, they aren't quite sure. It always frustrates me as a pastor when I hear testimonies of how there are those in our church that are impatient with new believers. Don't be impatient with new believers. Give them some room to work out the issues in their lives. We expect, well, they got saved last week, Ed. They should just totally know all these things. Are you kidding me? Like, do you totally know all things? Should we treat you that way too? It's like, well, you know, look at them. And, well, no, no, no. How about looking at you? You get room to grow up? New believers need some room to grow up. They may not quite get it. The new believer, they might be caught up in all sorts of things that, that we would think, oh, why would you be doing that? Because God's still working some things out. I've shared this before, but, you know, let's just say that there's somebody that's just, just really still addicted to cigarettes and, and they're just smoking them. And, you know, that, that, that's not, you know, cigarettes I don't think is going to send you to hell, smoking cigarettes. It'll make you smell like you've been there, but it's not going to send you to hell. <laughs> It's not good for you. It's not a good habit. It's hard to share the gospel when you're puffing on a Salem, you know, and Jesus loves you. And you're like, whoa, man, what are you doing? It's going to make things hard for you. It's going to hurt your health. You're not going to have a body that can be really used by the Lord. It's a habit that should be broken, believer. It's like a bondage. And I often find the people that are struggling and smoking struggle in other areas of bondage, too. And that once they just give that stuff up, because, you know, it's one of the gray areas. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't say I can't smoke, you know. It's like, hey, the Bible says a lot of other things that it's probably a good idea to stop it. Look at those things. I find that once you're able to get through that habit, God begins to knock off the other ones along the way. You just need to really realize the power of the Holy Spirit to break a habit. And you just kind of carry a habit because it's not black and white. You just kind of live with it. And that habit becomes a good friend. But now you've set yourself up to make other bad habits good friends. And some of those other bad habits could be sinful habits. And so maybe somebody's still struggling in that area. And right before they come into the sanctuary, they flick their cigarette butt out into the parking lot or something. And you see it and it just ticks you off. Like, what are they doing? And... You know, it lights a bush on fire, and like, <laughs> then you really get mad, and it, 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 it's just stumbling you. You need to make some room for that brother and sister. Maybe just come alongside of them. Hey, I saw you flick your cigarette and start a big fire, bro. Are you all right? How long have you been walking with the Lord? Do you know that God could deliver you from that? I'm, I'm not saying you're going to go to hell about anything, but just coming alongside and making room. Another area that I see come up in one of the gray areas is, you know, some of the ladies that get saved, they get saved right from the street, man. They're out partying and their, their clothing is revealing because they don't understand or they've never been taught modesty. They're not going to learn it on TV. They're not going to learn it in some of the popular movies. They're not going to learn it at the bar they've been hanging out with. And so they get saved, and, and they don't have any other clothes. 
They, they go back into their closets and, and it's always been revealing and they've been taught that they're objects and now God wants to draw them there through Jesus and, and show them that they're a precious vessel unto the Lord and that modesty is good and to, to cover those things up so that, so that you're in a place where you're not stumbling people and, and your, your bodies it's all modesty and yet at the same time, they don't have anything else. And so, you know, you'll see someone come in and maybe they don't have, you know, I can't believe she's dressed like that. No, I can't believe you're so judgmental. Give them some room. Come alongside and say, you know, honey, it'd be better. And it'd be good for you ladies. Guys, you don't do this. <laughs> it'd be better for you ladies, you mature women, like Titus chapter 2 says, you mature women would come alongside and say, do you understand what modesty means? Not in a judgmental way, but just like a mom or a sister that could come along and teach them you know, it's better that your body's covered and it might even open the door for a little bit of discipleship in their lives. Paul's really saying, make some room, church. Make some room for God to work in people's lives. That is Pastor Ed Taylor addressing one reason for immaturity. Some are new believers. And we need to be patient and understanding with them. You're listening to Abounding Grace. And Pastor Ed, you addressed a couple of examples of not stumbling others with our freedoms. Another one that is often asked about deals with the consumption of alcohol. Would you mind talking about that as we close and how this passage might relate to this? Well, you know, Larry, alcohol and in some states like Colorado, marijuana now is legal. And it, it's allowed, you know, of course, alcohol has been allowed for a long time. And on a personal level, both of these things greatly damaged my life. I submitted myself to them. They became a ruler over my life. I was addicted to alcohol, addicted to marijuana. And my, my heart now is to encourage other people to stay away from those things that would overcome them, that would take them under their influence. You know how Paul said in Ephesians to not be drunk with wine, but to, uh, which is in excess, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and while drinking alcohol in the Bible is just an, uh, you know, a beer or a glass of wine is never anywhere identified as a sin. Uh, it is an important uh, action to really bring under the leading of the Holy Spirit and just ask, is it worth it? Will I stumble others in my family, my friends? Um, would, it, would it be better to drink something else? Would it be better to, you know, obviously with marijuana, stay away from it completely, but would it be better? Is my love really, my action really motivated by love for the sake of others? And so I have uh, stayed away from alcohol since I got saved. I mean, I, it so wrecked my life. My, my, my response is, why would I ever want to go back to something that was so destructive in my life and to many, many others? And so, you know, drunkenness is definitely forbidden. Uh, drinking is, in, you know, nowhere is taking a drink of alcohol ever forbidden. But the question is, what's the best choice? And, and so may the Lord lead us, may the Lord lead you in making the best choice and staying in a place of being usable, staying in a place of, of being fruitful, uh, and just staying away from things that would send the wrong message that might bring you under its power or be an example, you know, to your kiddos um, that, you know, maybe you can handle it, but maybe your kids can't handle it or your neighbors or your, you know, it's just one of those things where shoot for that best and let the Holy Spirit lead you, guide you and confirm to you. 
We can't go wrong as we're under the leading of the Holy Spirit. Good wisdom there. Thanks, Pastor Ed. You can hear a replay of this message when you go online to calvaryco.church. That's calvaryco.church. Or download our free apps. Simply search for Calvary Church Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. Here in the month of May, we picked out an excellent book written by Ray Bentley called The Holy Land Key, Unlocking End Times Prophecy Through the Lives of God's People in Israel. It's one thing to read prophecy and quite another to step into its fulfillment. It can be easy to miss the significant signs contained in the stories of biblical characters in God's creation and in the lives and actions of today's Israelis and Palestinians. That's where Ray Bentley steps in to help in the Holy Land Key. And we'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.church. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE. Don't miss our next study in 1 Corinthians with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. And may God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. 